Chapter 1, Prelude, 1949 through 1967. I have had the privilege and good fortune of being probably the only trumpet player who was taught and transformed by Bud Herseth from an absolute greenhorn in symphonic music into a high-level performer over the course of a very extended, long-term period. In addition, I eventually became his colleague in the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, in which we worked together for 18 years. These two experiences have given me a unique double perspective on his artistry, his genius, and his work ethic. During the previous half-century or more, extremely few trumpet players in the world have had ready access to Bud's personal guidance and leadership as either a student, much less as a colleague. My intent in writing this memoir is to relate many of the personal experiences that I had with the master, first as a protege and later as a member of his section, as well as to share many of the lessons that he passed on to me, both by directive and by example. These recollections are intended to inform and inspire not only brass players, but also other interested individuals. I first met Adolf Herseth in Ann Arbor, Michigan on October 1st, 1967, when I was a brand new freshman at the University of Michigan. On that day, I heard for the very first time symphonic music played live. It was only a few weeks earlier that I had been first introduced to such music on recordings in music literature slash history class. That sunny Sunday afternoon in October, I heard the Chicago Symphony play Chiacona by Buxtehude, arranged by Chavez, the world premiere of the Seventh Symphony of Roger Sessions, which had been commissioned by the university for its sesquicentennial year of 1967, Nobilissima Vision Suite by Hindemith, and Ravel's La Valse. In addition, the second piece on the program was the Concerto for Trumpet in D Major by Telemann, featuring Mr. Herseth. To this day, I'm still awed by the tape recording I have of the live performance of this piece, which he and the orchestra did two weeks later back in Orchestra Hall in Chicago. After the heavenly rush of the concert, I eagerly made my way to the stage door to meet the trumpet master, get his autograph, and take his picture with my Polaroid camera. When I framed and hung those two treasured mementos on the wall in my dorm room the next day, I could never have imagined that 11 years and three months later, I would be one of Bud's colleagues in that trumpet section. In fact, until that fateful Sunday afternoon, I had not even imagined that I would become a professional player. I was born one month premature in May of 1949. My parents, who had been married near the end of the year in 1945, had moved to the tiny crossroads community of Osineki, population 300, in the northeastern lower peninsula of Michigan during the summer of 1948. They had moved after having had minimal success making ends meet in Oak Park, my father's hometown, the first suburb west of Chicago. During high school, Dad had studied trumpet with the commercial players who were part of the NBC staff at the Merchandise Mart in downtown Chicago before the network moved to New York City. He had long held dreams of becoming a professional musician, hoping to begin after his stint in various dance bands and concert bands in the Army was completed. However, hundreds of other players had similar goals, so there was not enough work to go around when the many GI musicians returned home after the war. Even with Dad working as a sales clerk at a music store and selling fuller brushes door-to-door on the side, and Mom doing piecework secretarial tasks at home, their expenses totaled more than their income. So they moved to Osineki with their toddler son, my older brother, to the area where my mother had been born and raised on a pioneer farm. In this region, housing costs and living expenses were much cheaper, so they purchased from one of the relatives a very small, two-bedroom log house beside the highway. 
In Alpena, the town 10 miles from Osuneki with a population of 10,000, the solitary music store had no employment offerings for my father. So he utilized his GI Bill to attend cosmetology school in Alpena and then rented an upstairs office space in the downtown area to operate his modest hairdressing shop by himself. During that first year up north, Dad sold his trumpet to generate the cash to buy a set of chicks to raise in the chicken coop behind the house for the eventual production of eggs and meat. My parents also raised rabbits for a time in the rabbit pen in the yard as food items. The winter after I was born in 1950, they began baking bread in their kitchen to sell to neighbors and also to deliver to grocery stores in Alpena. Summer tourists also stopped at the house to buy bread and eventually other baked goods as well. A few years later, my parents also became the managers of the tiny credit union of the Catholic Church in Osuneki. In time, this business expanded enough that they held open hours at the living room table in our home two evenings a week. By the time I was of high school age, the credit union had developed into a part-time business with limited daytime and evening hours in an office in the church hall. After my younger brother and sister joined our family in 1953 and 1956, an addition was built onto our 20 by 22 foot log home. This necessary expansion was financed by the meager combined income from the beauty shop, the home bakery, and the credit union. My first decade was filled with attending the area-wide elementary school, a half mile walk from home, and creating my own simple fun with my older brother, Mike. With very few other people around, we played catch outdoors with each other for hundreds of hours and generally entertain ourselves. In time, we grew old enough to romp in the adjacent fallow field and woods, go fishing in the nearby Devil River, and ride our bikes to Lake Huron, a mile and a half away, where we spent many warm summer days at the White Sand Beach. The roofless basement of an abandoned, uncompleted house served as a court for our handball games. This was a generally carefree existence in an insulated environment, with no television, little music, and few books in our lives, except the school texts that were used during the school year. However, the activities that were available to us certainly increased just before I turned 10. That spring, Dad called Mike and me together and asked us if we would like to learn to play the trumpet from him. When we answered in the affirmative, he got out his old mouthpiece and showed us how to buzz it to produce what would eventually be trumpet sounds. He then ordered from a buddy from the Army Band days, who lived in a Chicago suburb, an old student line trumpet plus an old mouthpiece from me. When it would arrive, the older mouthpiece would belong to Mike as well as the two standard etude books which Dad had been trained with during his own youth, the Arben and St. Jacome books. While we waited for a month for these wonderful packages to arrive, we practiced daily under our father's direction on the single mouthpiece. That summer, Little League Baseball and Boy Scouts were also introduced into our little community, both of which we avidly enjoyed for years. Our world was expanding somewhat although it would continue to be a quiet, backwater place right out of Norman Rockwell Americana. My route of progress on the trumpet from these earliest beginnings to my first lesson in Bud's basement studio ten years later was rather unusual, compared to the organized musical upbringings of most of the other players who ultimately became members of the Chicago Symphony. The zigzag course of my non-traditional training also permeated my later outlook and approach, compared to the approach of most typically trained symphonic musicians. With the arrival of the single Olds trumpet for us to share, plus my own personal mouthpiece in the two etude books, my brother Mike and I started our lessons at about the time of my 10th birthday. These training sessions took place officially once each week, the insistent tapping of my father's slippered foot on the oak floorboards, helping to solidify my rhythms, is indelibly fixed in my brain cells. 
However, much of his coaching was delivered informally through the wall from the hallway or the bathroom while we were practicing in our bedroom. Slow down the tempo a little. Make those articulations clearer. Don't rush the rhythm. The solid foundations of technical brass playing that my father developed in me over the course of eight years of lessons served me very well during the following years of higher training and during my entire professional career. Not a single aspect of his fundamentals ever required alteration. Dad was entirely unacquainted with symphonic playing and its literature. However, his understanding of the technical aspects of playing the instrument was excellent, as well as the use of those techniques within the context of concert band, jazz band, and combo performance. Later lessons with Clifford Lilia at U of M and Bud in Chicago added many further dimensions, as well as multiple layers of refinement and knowledge to Dad's original foundations. However, these additions were supplemental to the solid grounding of his home training. Our father helped to develop the same degree of aptitude on the trumpet in each of his four children, although he had never taught any students before us, nor did he ever teach anyone after his 15 years of instructing us. All of my siblings played through their high school years. Afterward, my younger brother Chris earned a University of Michigan degree in trumpet performance, but pursued a career in real estate development and community planning. Mike became an engineer and then a housing administrator and Elise became a veterinarian specializing in cats and beginning from scratch at the age of 45, a top-notch competitive bodybuilder. Strange as it may seem, during the course of my many years of lessons with Dad, he never once demonstrated on the horn, and we had no recordings of his playing. However, from his army friend in Chicago, we soon began receiving trumpet albums in the mail. These 33 RPM platters from the outside world would serve as my only oral role models until I first heard legit music as a freshman at U of M. Legit music is a term used by jazz and commercial musicians to refer to symphonic music. Over my years of growth as a young player, until I entered college, I listened for many hundreds of hours to these thrilling albums of Rafael Mendez, Maynard Ferguson, Al Hurt. His playing on the very earliest recordings before he became highly commercialized was absolutely mind-blowing. Doc Severinsen and Harry James. The artistry of these expressive, dramatic, extroverted musicians would color my tastes and approach to playing all genres of music for the rest of my life. My introduction to ensemble playing occurred after Mike and I had each been practicing solitarily for about a year. A family of friends from downstate who spent summers at their cottage nearby on Lake Huron included two boys about our age, one of whom had also begun playing trumpet at about this time. He brought his instrument along for the summer, but seldom practiced it. This lack of discipline on his part was our good fortune. We Kent brothers now had a second horn on hand so that we could play short duets together from the Arben book. We were now able to experience for the first time the harmonies of ensemble playing and enjoy the sensations of playing with accompaniment. I still remember crying bitterly into my pillow that first night after our friends had left at the end of the summer, since we no longer had a second instrument available for playing duos such as Red River Valley. However, the seeds of harmony had been planted, and before long a second Olds trumpet arrived from Chicago. We brothers were now equipped to play duets whenever we liked, we were soon performing various duos at home when friends and relatives visited and in local and regional talent competitions of the 4-H organization. I still have a treasured photo of the two of us at the conclusion of one such contest, proudly holding our horns in the first-place blue ribbon that we had just earned for our rendition of The Fox Hunt. There I stand, at the ripe old age of 12, decked out in white shirt, tie, and striped sport coat, with my pants zipper fully down, 
brotherly duets would remain my sole exposure to ensemble playing during my first four years of playing until the summer before I entered high school when I joined the Alpena City Band. From the time I had first begun playing trumpet at the age of 10, I had decided that I would pursue a career in music. However, this plan entailed becoming a music teacher, since this was the only full-time musical profession that I knew existed. This was a belief that continued throughout my high school days, since I could not connect the solo artists whose recordings I avidly devoured to any known occupation in my world. The musicians of whom I was aware played only part-time or sporadic jobs in bars and at weddings and parties. On a related theme, when Mike entered high school and I was age 12, our parents made it very clear that they would not be able to pay for any of the costs of our college education. We would have to finance this advanced study ourselves from our own savings and also by achieving excellent academic grades in high school, from which we'd receive university scholarships. We eventually did just that. Shortly before I turned 14, I was forced to make a few physical adjustments in my playing. During the previous seven years, including the four years of playing the horn, the lower half of my right front tooth had been missing. It had been broken off when I was six years old, when I had fallen face down on the ice at school, and another student had fallen atop my head. When my parents were finally able to afford to have a dentist install a crown on the damaged tooth, I was frustrated to discover that the huge opening through which my air had previously flowed when I played was now blocked by the crown. At the same time, the dentist also ground off two corners of my two lower front teeth, the corners which projected outward considerably due to serious overcrowding. Until then, these sharp points had sometimes pierced the skin inside my lower lip when I would play extended demanding passages. In addition, during an earlier year, I had once attempted to execute a running hurdle through a backyard swing. Due to a miscalculation, I had instead kicked the seatboard of the swing upward into my mouth, driving my upper front teeth completely through my lower lip. However, the minor alterations that were wrought on my embouchure by these various incidents were minuscule compared to the devastating damage which had been inflicted on Bud's teeth and mouth in his automobile accident during the spring of 1952. I had been nearly three years old when that happened to him at the age of nearly 31. When I became a member of the Alpena City Band, Three months before entering high school, I occupied the second chair position next to my older brother, who served as the lead player of the group. This ensemble, composed of a motley crew of musicians who rehearsed one evening per week year-round, played one concert each week during the summers, outdoors on an elevated, open stage adjacent to the City Hall parking lot. The audience, listening from their cars through unrolled windows, honked their horns as applause after each number. Since the band had been founded in 1918, much of its library dated from that period, particularly the marches and concert pieces. These were interspersed with medleys of show tunes, plus various trumpet solos and duets featuring the Kent brothers. I happily performed with this group for five summers until I departed for college. I remember one particularly memorable July day in which Mike and I pedaled our bikes several miles from our house to a farm, hefted bales of hay onto a wagon all day in the stifling heat, and then unloaded them into a barn loft, pedaled home, showered, ate supper, drove to town, and played a concert program that featured one of our duets. The high school in Alpena, which served the widespread populace of the entire county, had a band which was of moderate quality, but no orchestra until a beginning ensemble was established in my junior year. The new young band director was seriously hampered by several realities. An instrumental music program was only just then being established in the elementary grades as an eventual feeder system. Virtually none of the band students at the high school received private lessons, and there was no available source of recordings to instill refined sounds in young ears. 
Public radio and public television broadcasts were still a thing of the future. The only radio signal that was readily available emanated from the Alpena station, which featured primarily polka and country-western bands, birth announcements, and obituaries. The solitary music store in town dealt mainly in polka and rock and roll records, along with a stock of guitars, banjos, accordions, drums, and a few student-level band instruments. Although the televised Lawrence Welk show was very popular throughout the county, this region was by no means one of musical sophistication. To my chagrin, some years later when I successfully auditioned for the principal trumpet position in the radio orchestra in Stuttgart, the local newspaper ran an article entitled, Kent Joins German Band. The high school experience did, however, offer me four years of ensemble and de solo experiences in concert band and big band jazz playing. Equally helpful to my musical development was the combo work that I did during my latter three years of high school. On the first day of sophomore year, I enlisted three friends to form the group we called the Blue Notes. With a rhythm section that consisted of piano, upright bass, and drums, Terry, Mike, Jerry, and I played many Saturday night wedding and anniversary dances throughout the county. That same year, I also began working with several different adult combos and bars. During this period, while I was aged 15 to 18, I had occasionally spent time in the back room of a tavern where I was playing when a liquor inspector would make an unannounced visit. My very first experience at a bar job entailed improvising polkas for four hours straight on a Saturday night at the Hideaway Inn with an accordion player and a drummer. A year or two later, whenever I would work with that same drummer, I would have to take my pay in cash from his pocket when we would finish at one o'clock in the morning. He would be too smashed to pack up his drum set until the following day. A much more sophisticated quartet that I thoroughly enjoyed working with included Denny on Cordovox, an accordion from which the sound was altered by an amplifier into that of an electric organ, Burl on amplified acoustic guitar, and Scooby-Doo on drums. The latter player, a recovering junkie, had long been a member of the house band at the Sands Hotel in Las Vegas. He was now a born-again Christian leading a new life in the North Woods. Although he had changed his lifestyle, Scooby still opened my eyes about various facets of his previous existence on the wild side. While working in the bars, I often strolled around the tables while playing, serenading the patrons, and sometimes when the night wore on and the eyes of the crowd glazed over with drink, I would lie on my back on an unoccupied table while playing. Invariably, someone would pretend to pour a mixed drink or a pitcher of beer down that apparently inviting vertical brass funnel to the delight of other patrons. Four hours, a night of ballads, Latin numbers, blues, and up-tempo tunes, all played by ear with ad-lib variations, did wonders for my endurance, ear training, both my perfect pitch and relative pitch, and familiarity with a wide range of styles. Sometimes these bar gigs, which often ran three nights a week, took us out of town a couple hours drive away. Packing up after the one o'clock finish and then driving back to Alpena would leave me only a few hours to sleep at a friend's house in town before returning to morning classes at the high school. To this day, whenever I hear on an oldies radio station certain tunes that were played on the jukeboxes in the bars during those high school years, I experience a flood of interesting memories of this shadowy second life that I experienced for three years. All the while, I kept practicing heavily, playing in the school ensembles and city band, excelling in my classes, saving money for college, and aiming for scholarships. At the age of 16, I vowed to myself that I would practice three hours every day. Theoretically, this was an admirable goal, reflecting how badly I wanted to achieve my goals. However, later musical maturity showed me that it was a senseless approach for a brass player. 
Practicing less and conceptualizing my playing more by singing the music would have been much better, but I was not yet aware of this more mature approach to music making. To find enough time for all these activities, I slept only five hours a night year-round for seven years straight. From age 14 on, again, later maturity would change that approach as well. The first opportunity that I ever had to hear a live performance by one of my role models presented itself during the summer when I was 15, when I enjoyed a concert by Al Hurt with his Dixieland combo in Cincinnati. This occurred while my brother Mike and I were spending the summer working at our Uncle Jim's chain of hitching post restaurants in that city. Al Hurt was amazing in the way he used his immense technical mastery of the trumpet within the context of complicated, improvised Dixieland music, a talent that has never been matched. Three years later, I was able to hear Rafael Mendez present a clinic and an evening solo performance with a high school band in southern Michigan. My blood sizzled when exposed to the live sounds of his masterful technique and his exciting musicianship, and my passion for his recordings of flashy Spanish pieces and opera aria transcriptions soared all the more. I did not realize until years later that many of his expressive trumpet solos had actually been composed as vocal music for an opera house setting. During my first semester of college, I was also inspired by a live performance that Doc Severance had played with a U of M symphony band. His risk-taking in the demanding, jazzy world concerto was a wonderful learning experience for me, and I was thrilled by the manner in which he applied his thorough technical control and expressive artistry to various types of commercial music. Always intent upon earning money to pay for my future university training, I felt that I could not take time out during my high school years to attend summer music programs. I reasoned that it would be a double financial setback for me to attend such a program, considering both the costs of the session and the concurrent loss of income. As a younger boy, I had earned cash by picking strawberries commercially on local farms and by making bakery items in our kitchen to sell to the tourist traffic. As a high schooler, I labored summers bringing in hay and painting houses, and also worked year-round in a 15-cent hamburger restaurant. Later, from age 18 through college, I was hired each summer to work at Abi Tibi, the wallboard factory in Alpena. During my high school period, I would order each year the literature from the Interlochen Arts Academy. In these materials, I noted the programs of the concerts that were being performed there during both the school year and the summer session, and learned the names of those who played trumpet in the various ensembles. Some years later, a number of these individuals would be fellow students at U of M, and I would eventually meet others as fellow competitors on the orchestra audition trail. The single week that I did spend at a summer music program at Michigan State University during my 16th summer was only moderately helpful to my development as a player. Although I did play lead in the concert band and the jazz big band, the single private lesson that I received from the university professor offered me virtually nothing. That week I did not hear any symphonic music, although there was an orchestra included among the ensembles. At the time of my graduation from high school, my officially stated goal was to earn a master's degree in trumpet and teach at the university level. I was still totally unaware of the beauties of symphonic music and was oblivious to the fact that certain musicians actually made their living playing it. I was extremely deficient in many areas for entrance into a high-level university music curriculum. Compared to the majority of those musicians of my generation who would eventually attain high levels of proficiency on their various symphonic instruments, I had never played piano, I had not been exposed to any theory or music literature or history training, and I had neither heard nor performed symphonic music, either in the format of a full orchestra or chamber ensembles. During the autumn of my senior year, 
Oblivious to the deficiencies in my background, I had applied for admission to the University of Michigan's School of Music. Opting to send a recorded sample of my playing rather than audition in person, I cast about for a piece to present my best attributes. The closest thing that I could find to legit music was the lead part from the old-fashioned cornet duet entitled Ida and Dottie Polka. This I recorded with the clumping accompaniment of a friend on a very out-of-tune upright piano onto a small tape with a cheap portable machine at the high school. Although Clifford Lilia, the trumpet professor at U of M, must have smiled to himself at my offering, he apparently recognized on the tape enough raw talent and solid foundations of training to grant me admission into the prestigious school. This was the first of many generosities that he would extend to me. I departed for the University of Michigan on a full scholarship, which covered room and board, tuition, and even some spending money. Thus, the considerable savings that I had accumulated could be applied toward the purchase of horns, mouthpieces, mutes, music, stereo components, and records. My musical world was about to burst brilliantly open, illuminated by Adolf Herseth and the Chicago Symphony Orchestra.